Hello and welcome to 444 Fantasy Football's Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your host, John Paulson, and this is a bonus 2017 draft strategy episode of the podcast. And I'm happy uh, to be joined today by uh, Pat Fitzmorris. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Uh, he was uh, the lead fantasy writer at Pro Football Weekly back in the day. He wrote, wrote uh, still writes for SI.com and The Football Girl with uh, Melissa Jacobs. Pat, how you doing? Doing great, John. Uh, although I am still trying to get over something that happened, or rather something that didn't happen earlier this month when, um, you know, you're out there in California, I'm in the Chicago area, we've known each other for several years, but it's been, uh, you know, strictly a Twitter and uh, email friendship. We haven't ever met face-to-face due to the, uh, you know, different locations, and then I come to find out that we were just miles apart on the 4th of July and didn't find out until after the fact, both of us going home to Wisconsin for a visit, seeing our families. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we wouldn't have been able to get together for beers and football talk since, uh, you know, we both had wives and children in tow and probably would have been served <laughs> divorce papers if we try to make that happen. But um, anyway, we get to talk football now, so I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happy to have you on. Uh, Pat is a, a big Packer fan, so we talk Packers. Uh, he's one of the um, guys I turn to when, on Sundays when things are not going well. Um, I'll sometimes send him a tweet or a direct message or whatever, and uh, he can console me or explain to me what's going on with the, with the team. Um, the other uh, the, the other way that actually that Pat and I actually met was uh, he was the uh, writer of Waiver Wire Watch. He took it over from me. And I just, uh, you know, edited his uh, his piece and would move some guys around. So we would have a little bit of discussion there. Um, mostly, I would say ninety percent of it centered around Ted Ted Ginn, right? Oh, absolutely. 90%. I've uh, I've dubbed you the pr- president of the Ted Ginn fan club, or what is it, California chapter president of the Ted Ginn fan club? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Pat always had him a little low for my tastes, and uh, so. So I was always moving him up. But um, we'll talk about, maybe we'll talk about Ted again a little bit later. But uh, the reason I'm doing this uh, series is I wanted to get uh, some of my friends and colleagues from the fantasy industry on to talk specifically about 2017 draft strategy, what they're seeing uh, when they are doing their mock drafts or their actual real drafts, if they're doing MFL 10s or or whatever. Uh, The great way, MFL 10s, if if you're not familiar with them, are a great way to sort of practice uh, your draft strategy or to kind of practice different draft strategies to see what works, what doesn't work. It's a little bit of a different format where you're drafting um, best ball uh, players, uh, you know, high variance players. And if you're trying to win, that's a whole other story. But it's a good way to draft against people that actually care. Um, but uh, what are you seeing, Pat, uh, in your early uh, preparation for, for, for drafts this year? Well, I guess the one thing that sort of jumps out is you always – start by looking at the top and looking at drop-off points, um, talent at, at various positions and various rounds where things start to slip a little bit. And uh, it seems like most years, you know, it, there's always a, a talent drop-off at certain points every year. That's not unusual. But I think most years it's more like, you know, you're at the beach and you're in solid ground, you're going out into the water, and it's a gradual drop off and you know you're up to your knees and your hips and your chest and your neck and this time it feels like a public pool where you're in you know four or five feet and all of a sudden there is a plunge to 10 feet um and it seems like it's happening 
right around the third round. You know, uh, like I feel like they're about nine pretty comfortable running backs, um, guys you can have a fair amount of trust in. Um, you know, then maybe you add on the volume guys where there are questions about how efficient they're going to be, questions about their teams. So guys like Todd Gurley, uh, Leonard Fournette, uh, Lamar Miller, um, you know, and then mm-hmm. I think we're about, what, 10 or 11 deep at wide receiver, throw Gronkowski in there. That pretty much gets you to the first two rounds. And I'm not even counting Gurley and Fournette in those first two rounds, but round three is, uh, you know, that's going to be a trick. And it seems like you're kind of drafting around guys in round three rather than, you know, anxious to grab guys. Um, I don't know. Do you see that same sort of thing? Yeah. When, uh, when I was prepping for this, uh, Pat actually sent over some thoughts about what he wanted to talk about. And I saw that he, you know, was talking about this, uh, third round, uh, drop off. And when you mentioned that, I was like, yes, I'm seeing the exact same thing. Um, I think early in the third round, you're okay. There's usually some guys there, uh, that are, that are kind of left over from the top two rounds that uh, I'm excited about taking. But once you get past pick three or four, if it's a sharp, draft um it just seems like everything dries up and uh, if i'm in the middle of that round my top rated receiver is usually michael crabtree who i can get in the middle of the fourth round or the late fourth round a lot of times um at at running back you're you're looking at somebody like christian mccaffrey uh or isaiah crowell uh and i'm you know i'm fairly bullish on crowell um but you know still he he runs runs for the, the the browns and it's not a great offense and you know they the fewest number of rushing attempts last year i think and you know you think that would regress or progress to the mean um you know Gurley, not too excited about him or that offense either so you're looking at guys like christian mccaffrey maybe joe mixon and these are third round adp type guys and they just don't strike me as being safe you know enough for that round so i found myself and i don't know what you have to say about this but i've actually found myself taking travis kelsey there a lot because i think he's got 90 uh, 100 catch upside. I'm usually one to wait on a tight end. Um, but what do you think about taking Kelsey there or, or maybe even a quarterback? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, generally I draft to load up at running back and wide receivers in the early rounds and, um, you know, don't really think about quarterback or tight end until later. I've never really been a Gronkowski guy, but yes, uh-huh. I mean, I, if I can get Kelsey in the third round, I consider that a win this year. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, I think we're on the same page with him. I know you, you know, wrote a piece for four for four right after Macklin was released from the Chiefs, kind of speculating uh, you know, what sort of roles Hill and Kelsey were going to play, Tyreek Hill and Kelsey were going to play this year for the Chiefs and what sort of projections we might be looking at for them. And, you know, I, I think your projection for Kelsey was like in the 1,200-yard range, and you were conservative with touchdowns given his – know kind of lackluster touchdown track record that's more than fair but a 1200 yard tight end and to have that be like the median uh outcome in his range you know that we could conceivably see a 13 or 1400 yard season from him and like low end we're looking at 900 a thousand which you know there's just a few tight ends who can get to that point you know, Gronkowski can do it if he plays a full season. Jordan Reed can do it if he plays a full season. Olsen, um, 
you know, I think maybe Jimmy Graham can get there, and that's about it. So, you know, Kelsey just gives you such a big leg up at the position, and uh, you know, I think he's a pretty strong third round, third round candidate. Yeah, I would normally uh, normally I look at I try to find a late round quarterback, which I think is a pretty common uh, strategy, and uh, or a couple or a few that I like in a certain range, and I try to find uh, tight ends in the same type of situation so like this year there's about not uh five guys that are going in the eighth ninth round um you know rudolph eifert or actually eifert's going a little bit earlier rudolph walker ebron Ertz, martellus bennett jack doyle and then after that i'm really uncomfortable starting uh, my 13th tight end kobe fleener um i have hunter henry pretty low at 14 and then you get into fedorowitz and julius thomas and jason witten those guys so to me, there's a drop-off there, and normally I would pick a quarterback and I would pick a, a group of tight ends, a group of quarterbacks, group of tight ends, and then I would start to look at the different posi- running back, wide receiver positions. Where do I want to take? Do I want to take a, a running back in the third? Do I want to take a wide receiver in the third? Um, but this year, I think that if you get into that third round and you end up with Kelsey, um, or maybe Gronkowski if he's still around, which is unlikely, I think that's a. I think that's giving you a, a leg up at the tight end position, and and given the drop off at running back and uh, wide receiver, I think that's uh, a good move. And I, don't, I also don't, especially in friends and family leagues or a ten team league, uh, taking. I'm not an advocate of taking a quarterback early, but I think Tom Brady's going to have a great year. Uh, him or Aaron Rodgers there in the third round is a solid pick if you don't know who to take, uh, because I think a lot of guys are getting into the, a lot of owners are getting into the late third round. They're just like, I don't know who to take here. Right, and uh, the nice thing about Brady and Rodgers also is that it gives you a way to tap into these two dynamic offenses without getting into the vagaries of who is going to be handling the ball in those offenses. Because I think where you know everyone knows that it's kind of a puzzle in New England with which running backs and which receivers are going to come out of that. There just don't seem to be enough balls to go around. And uh, you know, other than Jordy in the Green Bay offense. That's kind of a puzzle too. So, um, yeah, I do. I do kind of like that uh, idea, even though I'm not an early quarterback guy. And um, you know, I think you would probably agree that the way we draft, you know, if, if we get an early quarterback or an early tight end, if we go for sort of a luxury item at one of those onesies positions, we're not going to get also get a top tight end. We're not going to have a top tight end and a top quarterback because then you're you're just going to get ragdolled at the running back and wide receiver positions all year. Um, but I think you can justify doing, you know, going for one luxury item in the third round this year seems like kind of a good time to do it. Yeah, you could, uh, you could, you could afford Brady and Jack Doyle or Rogers and Jack Doyle, or you could do Kelsey and like Andy Dalton or Tyrod Taylor or something like that. So moving on, um, do you have a particular strategy I know there's, you know, late round quarterbacks pretty common, uh, zero RBs out there. Generally, you know, like waiting on quarterback and um, finding finding a sweet spot in that quarterback run. Normally there's a jumble from like, say, I don't know, six to 16 of usable quarterbacks, guys you'd, you'd be comfortable with as your QB1. And, uh, you know, maybe depending on where in that range you go for someone, you might get a backup earlier or later than you would otherwise. But, um, you know, I try to get as far to the back of that range as I can. 
to uh, you know try to add round value to the other picks I'm where I'm not taking a quarterback. Um, I think that'll be my generally general QB strategy this year going in. But um, you know, I even in a few standard leagues last year I used zero RB and it worked pretty well. Um, you know, uh, it's generally a PPR strategy best served in in PPR leagues. But uh, you know, I actually won a standard league doing it last year, and that was even with Allen Robinson as a second round pick, which didn't work out too well, but. Um, you know, and also because, and this sort of goes back to the third round thing. Um, I think if you go zero RB, uh, you know, and come out of the first rounds with say first two rounds with like, you know, AJ Green, T.Y. Hilton, or Odell Beckham and Doug Baldwin, um, I would feel a little more comfortable then taking some of these third round wideouts, Brandon Cooks, um, DeAndre Hopkins, Al Robinson, you know, like I don't want Hopkins or Robinson as my top wide receiver and, you know, maybe not even as my number two receiver, ideally, but I'm a little more comfortable with the idea of grabbing one of those guys in the third round if I already have two strong receivers on board, you know, and I'm kind of committed then to throwing darts at the running back position, but this year I think is a pretty good year to throw darts at the running back position. What do you think about that? Yeah, the flip side the flip side with the drop off is that there's a bunch of running backs that are all kind of looking the same and they're going anywhere from the third round to the seventh round. And that means you can get good value there in the fifth, sixth round. So when you I, sh- I should mention that uh, zero RB is is a strategy that was popularized by Sean Siegel uh, at FF underscore contrarian on Twitter. Um there has there have been um, similar but not the same uh, strategies uh, floating around uh, the ether, the fantasy football ether for for years. But he definitely popularized it and brought it to the forefront and uh, wrote the best uh, explanation of, of the strategy um, using the anti anti fragility aspect of it. Um, so when you go zero RB, are you talking? Uh, full bore uh, drafting five, six non running backs in those first five or six rounds, or are you starting to look at running back in the fourth or fifth round? Um, generally, full bore. And getting back to what you said about Sean Siegel's piece, I mean that that is a must read. Like anyone who hasn't read Sean's piece, like you know, settle in, uh, get a cup of coffee, and like read that whole thing. It's well worth your while. But like the nutshell. Um, benefit of that strategy, I think, at least for me, the way I see it, is that at wide receiver, you tend to get what you pay for, um, mo- much more so than at the running back position, I think. And, you know, part of that is the anti-fragility. The fragility is that running backs get hurt pretty often. And they're also pretty hard to predict with the committee aspect of it and, uh, you know, only six or seven true work workhorses left in the league. So the, you know, the sharing of backfields, the unpredictable division of labor, the injuries, I think it's just that much harder to peg safe early round running backs. And so, um, you know, when you go like four or five non-running backs, you know, it's not just necessarily all wide receivers, you can mix in a Kelsey in the third round, but, um, 
you still have a pretty good chance of hitting on running backs in the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth rounds, um, and beyond. You know, I mean, there are going to be some guaranteed top twenty running backs who come out of that that realm, that region. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a pretty sound strategy, and I think with last year being a very good year for running backs. Um, you know, that's going to drive up prices on running backs this year, which makes zero RB like even more of a contrarian strategy this year. And, um, you know, if things kind of revert to how they were in 2015, people playing zero RB could really make out pretty well. And, uh, John, I should probably add as a caveat, if I get one of the first two picks, I'm taking David Johnson or Le'Veon, Le'Veon Bell. You know, I'm, that's the, uh, that's the time to abandon zero RB. If you hit the lottery on that, um, you know, you've, you've got to take advantage. But uh, zero RB works pretty well if you're drafting in the back end of the first round. Uh, earlier in the offseason, I was sort of advocating taking a, a one, at least one running back in the first two or three rounds, trying to get one of these top 11 guys. And I've been a little bit more comfortable lately kind of ignoring that advice, my own advice, after Joe Holka has come out with his uh, rushing expectations series. And there are several guys in those middle rounds where um, I'm pretty comfortable with them. Uh, Spencer Ware, Ty Montgomery, uh, Mike Gillisley, Amir Abdullah, Doug, even Doug Martin, even though he wasn't a great rushing expectation. I think he, uh, given the buzz around him this year uh, uh, in the spring session, makes him an uh, interesting pick as well. So those guys, you can easily get a couple of those guys in the fourth, fifth round, fifth, sixth round. Uh, and Frank Gore is hanging out there <laughs> until the seventh, the ninth round. I think I got him in the ninth round in an MFL 10 the other day uh, as an RB3 or even an RB2 if you're loaded elsewhere. I think it. I think the middle middle round running backs uh, are more comfortable than I was a few uh, weeks ago with that with that crew. But moving on, um, you, I asked you for some undervalued players, uh, some players you think uh, ADP is a little low on, and you brought up uh, Dalvin Cook, so that's another uh, middle round running back. What do you like about Cook this year? We had not a true sleeper, John. He's RB twenty five right now and going in the mid fifth round, but he was terrific in college. Uh, his combine was a little bit alarming. He did not test out well, but the film, I think, you know, shows him to be a pretty pretty capable and dynamic running back, multifaceted. Um, and I think the Vikings are pretty much going to chuck whatever plans they had for Latavius Murray. If Cook is as as good as they think he is, uh, I know they threw some money at Latavius Murray in the offseason, but I don't think that is a reason to shy away. And I don't know if that's the reason that early drafters are showing some trepidation in uh, Dalvin, you know, but like I think the upside there is is potentially – pretty massive top 10 or top 12. And I think at the very least you're getting a guy who, you know, even if things go badly for him, I think the worst case is that he is in a 50, 50 timeshare with Latavius. And, uh, you know, that would still, that's not what you want from a fifth round pick, but like it wouldn't be a complete disaster there. And, you know, the upside is significantly more than that. You mentioned that last year their run blocking was pretty terrible and it was but a lot of that was injury related they've gotten rid of matt khalil at left tackle which is probably addition by subtraction at least i know a lot of my vikings uh fan friends think that way so 
they should be able to have at least like slightly below average run blocking. And uh, I don't know. I would be comfortable with Cook as my first running back, like late fifth, early sixth round, if he goes just a little below current ADP. If I started like four wide receivers or three receivers on a tight end. So uh, with uh, the Vikings, I think they did add they signed two offensive linemen and then also drafted one. So they, they are trying to remake that offensive line. They're taking a different tack than the Rams who didn't do really anything. I think they signed one offensive lineman after uh, running the ball horribly last year. So the Vikings are at least uh, trying to address the situation. And then also drafting Cook is, is a step in the right direction as well. Uh, how about Rex Burkhead? You have him listed as a sleeper. 16th round right now. It looks like he's uh, a backup, uh, according to general consensus. What do you like about Burkhead? Well, I mean, I, I guess perspective on Burkhead is that right now he's got a 14th round ADP, and he's like RB61. So we're talking about like end of the bench running back. But right now there just seems to be a – I, th- I think everyone has kind of decided that Mike Gillisley is the guy to own. And, you know, that might, may well turn out to be the case. But, um, you know, often things are rarely as they appear in the New England backfield. And I just, it, it wouldn't surprise me mm-hmm. if uh, Burkhead wound up having a bigger role, uh, and especially on early downs, than some of us and some people think right now. Um I just kind of like him as a late dart throw. Uh, I took him in the Scott Fishball late as, uh, you know, just kind of a what-the-hell play. Um, You know, and the potential rewards as a a back in that offense could be huge, and the price is just so cheap right now. I mean, it's it's not me saying that Burkhead will be a better value than Mike Gillisley or a, you know, have a bigger role, but... I'm just not sure that it's an open and shut case for Gillisley right now. So I kind of like um, a little bit of a contrarian mm-hmm. late round deep dive with uh, Burkhead. Yeah, I mean, even if there's a 10% chance that Burkhead or a 5% chance that Burkhead wins the RB1 job, uh, that could that's a good draft pick for you because there's it's like almost like a lottery ticket that could that could pay off for it at the price of a 14th, 16th round. Yeah, I, I really thought that Burkhead would uh, um, emerge as a uh, nice value in the middle rounds prior to the Gillisley signing. But uh, Chris Raybon uh, recently wrote an article, and his theory is that Burkhead was signed to be the, the replacement for Brandon Bolden, and it's a big upgrade over Brandon Bolden. But uh, you know, a talented running back who can also play special teams with Gillisley now, either you know taking the Legarrette Blunt role, they were either going to sign Gillisley or Legarrette Blunt at some point. So that's that's his take on it, and I'm starting to warm to that idea you also mentioned uh, Terrell Williams um he's going in the ninth round but I think with this Mike Williams uh injury back injury there's enough smoke here that uh, Tyrell is going to start getting uh the um you know credit that he's he's due he had a great year last year I also looked at his charting and Matt Harmon's uh reception perception uh he came in uh pretty high he's the number eight overall when I combined all the numbers uh into one big number because I like I like one big number to kind of summarize everything and he came in eighth out of fifty uh, had a really good year last year I think the question with him is is Keenan Allen and speaking of Keenan Allen you list him as uh, an overvalued you also list him with uh, Marshawn Lynch Jordan Reed are these guys mainly injury concerns for you uh, 
Alan, for sure. I mean, it, all right. Like, I, I know that some of it is just bad lacerating his kidney or whatever. I'm not even ready to say that Keenan Allen is injury prone despite the track record. But, um, you know, he does have this kind of alarming injury. The kind of receiver he is, I mean, he is a guy who has to make his bones on volume. You know, he's, he's always been that way. I mean, his yards per catch has been in like the 10 to 11 range the last few years. And, um, you know, he's not really, he hasn't been a prolific touchdown scorer throughout his career. Like if you prorate his NFL production so far and, and projected in like a 16 game regular season, I think he'd wind up scoring like seven touchdowns. So, I mean, where you get profit from him or look to get profit from him is just on a ton of receptions. Hope he, you know, gets a hundred, 110 receptions. And, um, you know, that kind of game, plus he's also like sort of a between the hashes type of receiver and (laughs) that sort of game, you're counting on him to take a lot of physical punishment to reach the finish line for you and get those hundred catches. And, you know, just what we've seen from him you know, I'm not going to say he's injury prone, but he's going to probably have to take a lot of hits with the sort of game he plays. And I'm just not willing to make a major investment in him. I mean, it just seems like the community wants it to happen for him so, so badly. And, um, you know, we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden Tyrell emerges. And so maybe targets aren't going to be so heavily concentrated. Tyrell's there now. They've got two tight ends who are pretty good. They've still got Inman and Travis Benjamin, who have been, you know, reasonably competent targets in the past. Um, so I don't know. I'm just not not seeing the love for Keenan Allen, and, and someone always likes him in drafts more than I do. And, um, you know, with Reed, I mean, I've actually got him, and people are going to think I'm insane, tight end five now. I moved Jimmy Graham past him. Um, you know, I think he's had concussions like just this run of concussions like one at least one every year for several years now and um you know just a concussion a concussion risk uh i'm not willing to take at all and especially with him when his adp is so lofty i mean where is jordan reed going is like a fourth round adp right now um just not really a price i'm willing to pay and Whereas this time a year ago, everyone doubted Jimmy Graham because he was coming off the torn patellar tendon, which was a an injury that so few guys have come back from. And, um, you know, it's, it's basically been a career ender. But he comes back from it last year and you know, has like a 900-yard season. He's got a longer track record of success than Jordan Reed and, you know, proved that the knee is sound. Um you know, even though he hasn't been getting the same number of targets in Seattle that he used to get in New Orleans, uh, you know, I still think there's room for that target count to tick up a little bit. And, um, you know, last year he still put up pretty good numbers, even on a modest target count. So, um, yeah, I mean, Allen and, and Reed are definitely red flag guys for me. and I'm, I'm sort of veering away from them, you know, more, more so Reed. And Allen is just a guy who I don't like as much as other people do. I would uh, just say that Allen, I'm okay with him in the fourth round in PPR. In the third round, that's too pricey, and that's one of those reasons why the third round is looking uh, rough right now uh, for me, especially the back half of it. 
Uh, one player I want to talk about, I want to make sure I talk about with you, and I have him in, his name in capital letters, uh, is Tyreek Hill. Uh, ADP in the fourth round. Uh, let me give you my pitch. Uh, Macklin out. Uh, lots of targets available as the wide receiver one likely uh, for him, even though um, Travis Kelsey probably sees more targets. Uh, reception perception on him. He finished second overall after Antonio Brown. So Matt Harmon's a big fan of his route running. He didn't have a ton to study, but what he did study on Hill, uh, quote unquote, wildly impressed. Hill wildly impressed. Um, so ahead of a lot of good uh, receivers there, Keenan Allen, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, uh, three, four, and five, right behind Antonio Brown. So give me, I know you're a little conservative on the fantasy uh, football side. I am as well. Normally this would be a a person, a person I would be ca- cautious of because he scored touchdowns, uh, a lot of his fantasy points, uh, running the ball, kind of gadget plays. Uh, number one in fantasy points per snap, I believe. What's what? Why are you shying away from Tyreek Hill uh, given the situation? So I think the departure of Macklin is kind of a double-edged sword for Hill, since he is sure they're going to get him more targets with you know full season immersed in the offense and no Macklin. Um, he should see more targets, but you know teams are going to be ready for him and scheming for him now. He's the number one wide receiver on the team, the, the most dangerous wide receiver, the one they're going to watch. Um, you know, whereas last year, I think he was probably seeing a lot of uh, nickel cornerbacks in coverage. This year he's going to be seeing, uh, you know, Jason Verrett twice, probably Chris Harris twice. Um, you know, he's going to be seeing some really good cover guys. He hasn't been a wide receiver. So even though I know Matt Harmon liked his route running, um, you know, let's let's see if he can get open against really good cornerbacks. That's that's kind of a question for me. I mean, even with some big plays in the passing game last year, he averaged less than ten yards a catch. So he's going to need volume to, uh, you know, crank out good receiving numbers. Um, you know, we know, and we know it's kind of a conservative offense. We know T- Kelsey is going to be a major target hog. Um, I, I could kind of see, you know, a, a Worst case scenario for Hill where, like, you know, as you actually pointed out in your post-Macklin release article, um, that with Macklin out, Albert Wilson actually averaged double-digit fantasy points in those games. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Wilson, Conley, Hill, who knows, maybe Demarcus Robinson all finish, like, somewhere between 400 and 650 receiving yards. And Kelsey wound up with like 1,200. Um, and I think, you know, there's also the rushing side of it. Like I have a hard time counting on rushing yardage from a wide receiver. And Hill had like 260-some rushing yards last year. And, you know, one of those we know was a 95-yarder against – or uh, sort of like a 70-yarder against the Broncos. And, um, you know, a 68-yarder against the Titans. So, you know, like – basically half of his rushing yards, more than half on two big plays. Um, yeah, so I'm just like, I'm really not digging him where he's going right now in drafts. Like I just could not pull the trigger on that kind of a player in the fourth round. Oh, and, and the college, I mean, the, like he just does not have much of a college track record. And I know part of that was, you know, with the 
legal trouble he got into, you know, a, a domestic abuse thing with his pregnant girlfriend. If he runs afoul of the league office again, no doubt he's going to have the book thrown at him. So that's like another little risk factor. And, you know, but he played one year at a community college, one year at West Alabama, one year at, what was it, Oklahoma State. And, um, you know, never really put up very interesting numbers in either of those three stops. You know, West Alabama, like, didn't even put up very impressive numbers. So I don't know. I'm just, uh, there are enough, like, questions about Tyreek uh, that I have where I just, I cannot take a shot at him in the fourth round or fifth round. It's just too early for me. And I would add that I'm not ending up with a lot of Tyreek Hill, even though I have him ranked fairly high because I have Michael Crabtree um, higher and uh, he's usually available there in the fourth round when I'm looking at Hill as well. And then Hill's gone by the time it comes back to me in the fifth. So that's what's going on right now with me and Tyreek Hill. It's going to be an interesting uh, August month and a half with Tyreek Hill. He's one of the more divisive players in the league due to his track record, lack of track record, but then also the positivity and the upside of his track record. So it's a very interesting situation. All right, let me t- ask you what about one late-round quarterback. He's a player that I used to love a couple years ago, heading into the 2015 season, Carson Palmer. Um, he's now going in the 12th round. He finished, I think, QB 22 last year. Uh, I have him ranked QB 20. I moved him up a little bit yesterday uh, after Bruce Arians was talking about um, his arm being tired heading into September. And then once they figured out um, once they figured out that uh, his arm was tired, they got a, a, reg- a practice regime regimen for him that um, was better, and he played better in the second half of the year. Uh, the touchdown numbers bear that out, but the yards per attempt do not. Uh, what do you like about Carson Palmer heading into the 2017 season? Um, that he gets John Brown back, I think that's going to make a difference for him, that he's got all these um, you know, guys he can get the ball to now, John Brown, David Johnson, obviously, Larry Fitzgerald, um, you know, plus some pretty interesting potential weapons in J.J. Nelson and Chad Williams, the rookie who was getting rave reviews in OTAs. And, um, you know, also the fact I think that Palmer's touchdown percentage was uh, below career norms last year, um, you know, which was kind of a way that people, some people identified Matt Ryan as a potential bounce back candidate last year, just that his TV percentage had really dipped in 2015 and, um, you know, that he should at least revert to career norms. And Matt Ryan went soaring over career norms in that category. Um, you know, Palmer was just a tick below where he normally was, and he still threw 26 touchdowns. So it's not a stretch to see him getting back to 30. Um, you know, he threw 35 touchdowns in 2015. And, um, you know, just the fact that it's such an aggressive passing attack that Bruce Arians runs out there. Um, You know, if I get Palmer, he's, you know, surely going to require a competent backup or, um, you know, I know I tend to play in larger leagues where you need backups. I know that in uh, an average size league, maybe you dress most people just draft one quarterback, but um, I think Palmer is probably a guy you need to back up just at the price right now. um, You know, where he's going in the twenties among the quarterback position behind guys like, um, oh, let's see here. Uh, Carson Wentz. Uh, well, 
yeah, he's behind Wentz, behind, I don't know. I mean, I, I hate Philip Rivers' schedule. I don't necessarily like him more than I like some of those guys, but like Carson Palmer is kind of the end point of my comfort level with quarterbacks. And, you know, if I can wait and wait and wait and get Carson Palmer, I'm okay with that. I was just looking at his uh, week 10 on. He was the number eight fantasy quarterback from week 10 on due to all those touchdowns. I think it was like 1.9 per game. Um, if you include his bye week nine, he was still QB, uh, QB 14. Uh, so if you're, if you're one of those that doesn't like to exclude buys or whatever uh, for some players and not others, he's still a top 14 quarterback over that stretch. So maybe there is something to the Bruce Arians talk uh, with Carson Palmer. I, I did move him up a few spots there to get him in the top 20 uh, yesterday. So uh, finally, uh, let's talk about briefly, let's talk about a, a fantasy defense that you like is, and you happen to like one of the three that I've sort of target in these MFL 10s, uh, the San Diego or not San Diego chargers is the Los Angeles chargers. What do you like about the chargers this year? <laughs> That's pretty hard to get used to, isn't it? I just can't stop saying San Diego chargers. So, um, just the fact that you can get them late, generally. Um, I, I repeatedly wind up getting the Chargers in MFL 10s just because I think, well, their ADP right now is like 18 for defenses. And, um, you know, it's just there's so much talent there with, uh, you know, great cornerback duo with Hayward, who played so well last year, and now uh, Jason Barrett comes back from injury. You know, Bosa, Joey Bosa was a sack monster as a rookie, and that was basically with his rookie year getting off to a slow start because the holdout injury, I mean, he could be one of the, you know, new great pass rushers in the league. Um, You know, Melvin Ingram, another pretty good pass rusher. They have good inside linebackers. It's just a pretty quietly really strong defense. And, um you know, whereas I think Jacksonville is the up-and-coming defense that everyone is on, I think the Chargers have the up-and-coming defense where they're, uh, you know, up-and-coming in kind of a stealth way. And, you know, as the 18th best defense by ADP, you know, if I can get him after like 10 or 12 defenses are already off the board, um, I'm happy to. Mike Woolert, uh, I don't know if you saw this article, but he did a, a the Matrix, the defensive team by committee matrix. Uh, I used to write this article, but he took it over and um, I ran the numbers for him so that he had the matrix handy. And one thing you'll uh, notice is that it'll, um, you can combine, you can combine the schedules of two uh, defenses and it'll give you a grade as to how well their, uh, their uh, schedules combine and the chargers and another defense that I like uh, that's cheaper than average is, the Dolphins, those two uh, defenses combine as an A plus. So if you're in NFL 10 or if you have a big league and uh, not a lot of defenses available on the waiver wire during the year, you could grab the Chargers and the Dolphins and have a pretty good schedule, uh, at least one good matchup each week for the most part. So uh, wrapping up, I want to thank Pat. Thanks for coming on, dude. I, you're the number one uh, in the series of uh, bonus uh, episodes and uh, we had a couple of technical glitches along the way, but I think I'll be able to iron those out in post-production. Um, what else are you working on that uh, listeners should be able to, 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 to find your work? What else are you doing? Oh, uh, lately I've been knee deep in team previews, but uh, I've been calling them buying guides 
because uh, I want to differentiate myself from the 47 other sets of team previews that various fantasy writers have been doing. Um, but yeah, those are uh, can be found at footballgirl.com, and I believe they're eventually going to be posted on si.com. And, um, you know, just trying to keep rankings current. And uh, I think later in August, maybe early in September, uh, I do a podcast on si.com with uh, Michael Beller. He's uh, he's getting married in a couple of weeks, so we're going to be on uh, we're going to be starting up a little later than usual. But um, and I am around on Twitter, of course. So uh, at Fitz underscore FF, I knew you threw out my handle earlier, but that's about it, John. And I really appreciate you having me on. I guess I'm uh, the leadoff man in the series. I might not be Ricky Henderson, but maybe I can be like a poor man's Paul Molitor at least. All right. Thanks again for Pat for being on and uh, just look for these bonus episodes dropping maybe once or twice per week over the next few weeks. Um, So see you next time on uh, for four's most accurate podcast.